Uh, it's great to be here this morning. Um, I grew up uh, many of my years in Liverpool Baptist Church. I think it's been about five years since I've been back. Uh, this is a new location. I can see many familiar faces. Uh, I grew up in the Boys Brigade as well. So uh, Liverpool Baps and uh, many of the leaders here, and Ted and Paul, have uh, been very influential in the development of my uh, Christian life. So I'm very thankful for this church um, and very thankful for the opportunity to speak God's word uh, to us all this morning. So I'd like to invite you all to turn to Malachi chapter 3 and 4. We're going to read uh, both the chapters to get a bit of context. Um, I'm not going to presume that uh, Malachi is your favourite book of the Bible and you know it off by heart. So please open up God's Word to Malachi chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to be preaching from chapter 4 verses 1 verses 1, 2 and 3. It's a very short text, but I'll read uh, these chapters. It's not long. Uh, It's the last book of the Old Testament and I'll start from verse 1 in chapter 3. I'm reading from the ESV. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard, Against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. 
and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In chapter 4, this is the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the store, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And the Lord bless this, his word to us this morning and let us pray. I know I get distracted. I've got four little kids and let's pray that we would, would honour God with our ears this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is a blessing to our hearts. We pray now that we would honour you with our ears. As we listen to your word, we pray that your spirit would take your words, impact our heart, challenge us, help us to repent of the sins that we have not seen in our own lives. And Lord, we pray that at the end of this time, we will glorify our most majestic Christ, the most wonderful trying God that has saved us from certain death. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Probably not a familiar passage, but I think it is a very exciting passage. I love the Old Testament, and that's why I preach from it very often. I think there is uh, lots for us to learn, and I doubt we'll ever be able to get through it in one person's lifetime. But we're going to be looking at this morning, cultivating eternal life under the eternal sun. Now, how will the sun affect you? Yes, there's a sun out there in the sky, but there's also a sun spoken of here in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now, the Australian summer is hot. We've all felt it. It's uncomfortable at times. And sometimes it even feels like we're in an oven cooking, especially if you don't have air conditioning. Now, I remember a number of years ago now, I used to live way out west, And for eight days straight, it was between 40 to 47 degrees. It was so hot. It was unbearable. It was was so much discomfort. The only light reprieve was going under the cold bores that came up from very low in the ground. But this morning, we're not talking about a heat of inconvenience or a heat of discomfort in our Australian summer. We're talking about a heat that is a matter of life and death. 
The sun, as we know, it kills, it scorches things. I'm, we are, my wife and I are not good gardeners. Everything we grow dies. So we know that the sun scorches. But also the sun cultivates life. It gives us life. And so that is true of the great Christ. Christ will judge, but he also brings life. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, what is Malachi about? Now, we don't want to just jump into chapter 4. Malachi is a book of disputes against, between Israel and God. God and Israel are in covenant together. And so, they're having these disputes. Israel are complaining against God in many ways, accusing God of certain things. And God shows them that they are not right to accuse him of anything. The first accusation was that God had not loved them. But God, despite the actions of Israel, he loved them and he was faithful to them. The second dispute was that the leadership had profaned God's ways in the way they served in the tabernacle, the way that they worshipped. The third dispute had that the whole nation had disobeyed and profaned the covenant. God had been faithful, long-suffering towards this wicked people. The fourth dispute we, we see, even though Israel had worn God down, God expressed, I will continue to honour my word and my promise. That was the beginning of chapter 3. A messenger will come, but who can stand before him? It is both good and bad news, this messenger coming, God being faithful to his promise. This messenger will bring judgement, but also life. The question in this dispute was who will be purified and who will be judged? The fifth dispute, we, saw, we see that Israel robbed God. God gives us all things that we have and yet Israel were not giving back to God what he deserved. So they didn't give the full tithe or the best of their things and time. What God was, was a convenient extra in times of trouble. True love for him, for God, was absent in the hearts of his people. And the sixth dispute, which is just the, from verse 13 to 18, which we just read, <coughs> things had escalated and they accused God of acting contrary to his nature. They were saying that God is blessing evil and not blessing good. But the bright light at the end of this dispute was that God had kept the remnant that feared him. God paid attention to their cry, those who feared him, and assures them that it may not be seen now the distinction between good and evil, righteousness and wickedness, but in due time it will be, in God's time. So this is where we're up to in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. This next section flows straight into chapter 4. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, there's no chapter division here. It's just the same section. The distinction spoken of in verse 18, if you have a look at your Bibles, if you don't have them open, please turn them open. It says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The distinction spoken of in verse 18 will be shown on on the day of the Lord 
Or in this next section it says, the day is coming, or the day, or the day the Lord acts. So what is this day? How can we be ready for this day? And what is the consequence for rejecting or accepting this son of righteousness in verse 2? The first thing we're going to look at from chapter 4 verse 1 is that he is a heat that leads to death. In chapter 4 it says, For look or for behold, depending on what translation you have. And what we're talking about in verse 1 is an irreversible act that builds from the preceding argument. No hope is being communicated here in this section. Often through the Old Testament prophets you see glimmers of hope. But not here. There's no hope in this verse. No further opportunities for those who have pursued and enjoyed wickedness. Their judgment has come and after judgment or death, there are no second chances. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Neither root nor branch. Now, many of you have probably cut down a tree in your house or at the church or somewhere. Now, councils don't like you cutting down trees these days. Uh, It's more criminal than uh, actually doing a crime. But when you cut branches off a tree, it can no longer bear fruit. But give it two or three years, it can grow back branches, can produce fruit, flower again. Now, if you cut the stump off a tree, that's pretty severe. However, if you leave it for many years, things can still grow back up, some shoots can go, and it can fruit or flower once again. It can still be alive. But if you cut down the entire tree, uproot it, Take everything away. There's nothing left of that tree to grow. That's what's being said here. The only thing left may be the seeds of that tree to grow again. But that tree itself, nothing will be left. This is total devastation. There is no hope here in verse 1. The idea of heat here is introduced. Notice that this day is coming burning like an oven. This heat is, is heat that leads to death. Nothing left. This is spoken not to the pagans in the world. This is God's people. This is God's people who have been blessed by Him, who have His Word, who have Supposedly all his bless- all the blessings that he promised them. And they are being wicked. They are disobeying. These words are harsh words. We need to remind ourselves whether we are following the Lord and not just having him as, an in- as a convenient person in times of trouble. Well, the heat that leads to death, well, we don't, we're not going to stay there. There is hope in this passage. And verse 2 gives us wonderful hope and Israel wonderful hope. 
But for you who fear my name, in verse 2, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its, in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the store. <clears throat> verse 2 is a contrast, a stark contrast between the wicked and the righteous on the future day of terror. To the righteous in Malachi, we see that healing, hope, peace, love, salvation. But to the wicked in chapter 4, notice the language in verse 1 to 6. The wicked burn, be stubble, ablaze, no root, no branch, which we just looked at, trodden, and later, and they will be ashes. Now this should be familiar to us, this sort of language and what's happening. If we go into the New Testament and look at Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, we see that those seeds that were cast on the rocky soil, when they came up, what happened? They were scorched. And in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, Jesus' words of final judgment, the people will be separated. Some will be separated to eternal life, some to the eternal fire. The point in Malachi chapter 4 is all will face and experience God. That's true of all of us. The question is, for Israel, will they be met with his love, with his promises and his blessings, or his wrath? And for us this morning, will we be met with his love or his wrath? Or will meet Christ? So the contrast is of the sun in verse 2, where the heat here in verse 2, it comes with healing. But the heat in verse 1 with the oven is destruction. No root left. Now if we remember verses 15, 17 and 18, uh, turn back to chapter 3, verse 15, 17 and 18. It says, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. (coughs) Then verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I wake up, make up my treasure possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. In verse 18 it says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In our current climate, we can feel very downtrodden. Like Christianity is being extinguished throughout our society that we're being under persecution. And we can cry out to God and say, what are you doing? Why are you blessing the wicked? Why are you not blessing your people? But it is in God's time. Let me read verse 2 again. Because in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says that the wicked will be under his judgment. But in verse 2, there is a wonderful little word. It says, but for you. This little phrase, but for you. Here is the encouragement for those 
for us who call upon God's name, who see evil prospering, immorality prevailing in our midst. They will perish, but not you. But for you, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing and you will have great joy. We are to revere the name of the Lord. Revere the Son of Righteousness. What is happening here, the prophet is pointing the Israelites away from their situation so that their eyes are on God. How often do we need to be pointed away from our situation in front of us to the God who saved us? Now, what is this son of righteousness? It's only a term used once in the Bible. It's right here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. What is it? Who is it? Well, in the ancient Near East, they saw the sun when it rose in the Mediterranean And they they called it the doctor. They called it the doctor as it rises with healing in its wings. The heat comes up and it would heal the land. That's the way they, they viewed the sun. But the sun of righteousness is so much more than that picture. Now, it cannot be attributing morality or an attribute to an object like the sun. We cannot give an attribute to a chair That chair is good, so it makes sense. We don't use that for objects. We use these terms for people. The sun nor a rock can be righteous. This ceiling, this building cannot be righteous. It is talking about someone righteous. This son of righteousness refers to Christ. Remember that as you go through Malachi, one of the big things you need to be looking for is that the Hebrew and the text, it points us somewhere else. It's anticipating something great. Malachi is, is, is on the eve of the New Testament. He's the last prophet. So we're anticipating something greater, something better. Always looking forward. Looking forward to the promises of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 or the spirit coming in Ezekiel 37. See, son of righteousness is a proper name for Christ because it is fitting for the Saviour. Now, a name is an important thing. For the last seven years, my wife and I, we've had four kids, so you've probably gone well. Um, but when, when you have kids... You think about naming them and you want a good name, right? You don't just want any, any other name under the sun. You want a good name. You want a name that fits them. You want a name that you like. In fact, you, you want a name. Sometimes you name after someone so that they would grow up and be like them. You, you want that person, the name and that person to fit well. Now, <clears throat> the name son of righteousness. There's a lot in this name. As the Son, it befits Christ. It it represents Him as He gives life and light and warmth and blessing to this world. As righteousness, or as righteous, 
it properly denotes holiness to Christ, the second person of the Trinity. See, only God is righteous and only Christ will bring healing to a broken heart. So this term is very fitting for Christ, very unfitting for anything else. So the Son of Righteousness, it says here, shall rise with healing in its wings. Well, what is this healing? What sort of healing? Well, as you go through Malachi, you see that this is a healing from sin and wickedness and judgment deserved upon every human being because of their rebellion against God. We mustn't read a book like Malachi and think, well, they were evil. They rejected God. No, we should see ourselves in these pages. That we fail to recognise him every day. We fail to keep up to his standard. We fail to worship him in all that we do. This is us. A healing here that brings comfort and cultivates a life that deserves and deserves death. See, the wounds are our sins. That's why we need to be healed and it's self-inflicted. It's not like it's, you, it's passive, that you've somehow received all this sin on you. No, it is self-inflicted. You love your sin. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. And that's why we need a great saviour. Savior, one who is righteous. One who can pay the price for our sins. See, Christ is the healer of those who come to him. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Many of you here know how much I love the outdoors. I love pristine places. I've been to New Zealand once and I got helicopter dropped in the middle of nowhere for eight, nine days. It was incredible. But we were, we were at the, the start of a river where the snow-capped mountains were melting and flowing down and had constant flow of life, constant flow of water, which was which could give life. It was constantly bringing forth life. Sort of like that picture from Psalm 1-3 of that person who is under God's word, where that word is richly blessing them constantly. The idea of this constant blessing is seen in the Son of Righteousness with healing in its wings. It is constant the benefit of this healing of the Son of Righteousness is ongoing. It's like being in that pristine place. Sometimes we need to close our eyes and wake up to the true reality of being safe in our Saviour's arms. That our pristine place is not a place in the woods, it's not a place where you go and shut yourself off from this world, but your pristine place is Christ. He is beautiful, He is comforting, He has brought forth life and continues to do so. Well, the son of righteousness is, has healing, brings healing. But the son of righteousness is also powerful. It's also very powerful. And this imagery of the son gives us an idea of this. Now, the sun's power to far out planets in our solar system is amazing. Now, I'm, I'm probably old school. I'm probably old now. 
because when I was at school, we were taught that the planets went to Pluto. But I'm pretty sure now they tell you that it stops at Neptune. Is that right? Pluto's no longer a, a, technically a, a planet. It's more like a, a moon. But Neptune is about four and a half billion kilometres from the sun. And the sun's power, its rays, still reaches Neptune. If we were to travel 110 kilometres an hour, it would take almost 5,000 years to reach Neptune. Yes, that's right, none of us would make it. The sun holds great light to far-reaching places. And in our world, through Christ, the Son of Righteousness, there is not a heart that Christ cannot reach and change. There is no life that is too sinful, no life that has rejected Him too much. The power of the Son of Righteousness changes rebellious sinners who have rejected Him. This is the good news of this Son of Righteousness. But this Son of Righteousness also is not only powerful, but it has a great drawing power. I also spent a lot of time out in the bush because of where I lived. And if you're out in the evening and you've got a really strong spotlight in the crops and you turn that on, wow, you should just watch all the bugs. It just draws them all in. So much so, some nights your hands will be covered with bugs and you've got to turn it off. It draws in all these bugs. Son of Righteousness also has a great drawing power. It draws, it's drawn you and me to Christ, not because of anything that we've done, not because you're better than someone else. And so it does that for others. This is the power and the draw and, and, and God's drawing power through Christ. We should be praying this for ourselves, for others, for our families. Son of Righteousness has an effective drawing power that can bring those who are in the darkness to the glorious light. If you want to look at it this way, the rays of the Son of Righteousness, they bring life to those who love God. Just like the sun brings life to many plants, to many things on this planet. We fail to realise that the sun in our world, many things will be dead, many things wouldn't grow without it. So much of life depends upon the sun, S-U-N. Jesus has a wonderful power to draw people to him, to reach people. And this is the great news of the sun of righteousness, where the Old Testament saints, where the Israelites are anticipating this coming. The conclusion that naturally flows from the Son of Righteousness that brings healing to the wings, to its, in, in its wings, is that this reality of healing and power is a joy inexpressible. Notice what it says at the end of verse 2. It's a wonderful little uh, phrase here. You shall go out leaping like calves from the store. Well, think about it, the calves, 
rejoicing, no longer in prison, no longer under in the gates, no longer being beaten or branded, no longer being imprisoned, but being let out, rejoicing that freedom has finally come to them. The gates where you have been stuck, imprisoned, beaten for so long, have now been opened up to you. That's the idea of this healing, the son of righteousness that brings healing. This is freedom. Think about it like a joy with a skip in your step as one who has met Christ. Words would fail to express the reality of what has happened. This is a striking image of joy, of righteousness and deliverance. Now thirdly, in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 3 looks looks at triumph and finality in that final day. Those who are with the Son of Righteousness will crush underfoot the wicked. The promise from Genesis 3.15 and the promises from Isaiah 53 will come to their fulfilment. The Lord will come and He will heal, but He will also judge His people. And He will judge the world. But victory has already happened over the wicked. Victory has taken place at the cross and continues now. We live a victorious life, not because of anything that we've done, because of what Christ has done on the cross. Now, we asked a very important question at the start. Do you remember it? What is this day and what does it refer to? Now, many people want to say that it just refers to this time in Israel. Uh, Malachi's time. Some will say that it's Christ. Some will say that it's in the future. But let me suggest to you this morning that this should be taken as successive fulfilment. First for Israel, then for Christ's first coming, and then ultimately the second coming of Christ. Because if these words are limited to just one of these historical points in history, they overstretch the meaning of the text of that singular point in history. So it's best to see it as a series of events that God brought healing to Israel, to the remnant. He brings healing because of the fulfilment when Christ comes and he, will, he brings healing to us now and ultimately the consummation when Christ will come back again. The judgment and the wrath of God seen in Israel's time and throughout history is the dawn awaiting for the sun to rise with healing, but also with judgment. Healing was brought to the faithful Israelites in Malachi's time because Christ is the eternal Son of God who brought healing to the first man, Adam, and will bring healing to the last person who calls upon his name before he comes back again. Well, that's Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. How do we apply this? What does this mean to us today? Well, I think the sun is a beautiful picture for believers. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's a sun and shield. May I suggest to you that as we look at the sun rise tomorrow morning, and hopefully it's not too cloudy so we actually get to see the sun rise, may we be a reminder of the sun of righteousness that rises and rose. He rose with healing and the resurrection. Malachi 4.2 says that the sun of righteousness shall rise. It's not just Christ's perfect life and death that we remember and burial that brought healing. It was his resurrection and ascension. He defeated death. He ascended on high and he rules today over the entire world. All will call him Lord. As he rose, he defeated death so that we could have life. You may not be familiar with the old hymn, Because He Lives. You're familiar with that here? Because He Lives, I will face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. My life is worth living because He lives. Because the Son of Righteousness has risen. What healing power there is in Jesus. The Son represents Jesus well in this respect. But are we aware of this son of righteousness? Most of Israel sought healing from imitation. And most of the world today seeks healing from imitation. They walk around. We've got the source, the sun, which is so powerful. And it's like the world walks around with torches, imitation, light, light that runs out, light that doesn't last forever. Light that is restricted. They enjoy the imitation light rather than the source of the sun. They enjoy the imitation of of the joys of this life rather than the great joy that is in Christ. (coughs) See, brothers and sisters, one verse of Scripture, as we open God's Word up regularly, can be like a beam from the Son of Righteousness. Because this is God's Word God has promised that his word will accomplish its goal and that to those who believe in Christ, his word is an instant blessing. We need to work out this summer how to find the rays of the sun. No, not the sun where you go sunbaking, you go to the beach but the rays of the sun that comes from one who heals your heart from destruction. We who see the sun every day, we hardly know how to value it anymore. It just comes up and goes down. It comes up and goes down. And this is what it's been like in our Christian life. We have failed to realise, hardly know how to value the sun of righteousness because of the... Because we've become complacent. How do we value Christ? How are you valuing Christ in your life? In the reading of his word? In the way that you live? In the way that you pray? Oh, how miserably we fail. Good thing we have a glorious Christ.
about a month ago. Let me finish with this. It was about one 24-hour period. There was a, there was a fatal crash just minutes in, in, front of, in front of me, followed by a funeral that I was going to, and then news that a dear brother will be with the Lord within a week. And yes, he, he died a week later. As we go out today, we may feel uncomfortable with the heat of the sun. In summer, we may feel uncomfortable with it, a bit of discomfort. But if we go out these doors and reject the sun of righteousness, it's not about discomfort. If we go out and reject the sun of righteousness and our days are numbered, then you will be under the wrath of God forever. Alternatively, there is a heat that gives life. The heat that comes from the Son of Righteousness, it brings healing and peace and comfort. This was the promise to the Israelites in Malachi's time. We see it so much more clearly because we have seen the cross. We need to make sure that we do not forget this Son like many in Israel's time do, that when the time comes, we would rejoice forevermore that we are safe and secure in Christ and that we pray for all those who don't because we don't deserve it at all. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that comforts our rebellious and sinful hearts. Lord, even, even today we, we will stray from you and yet you still are faithful. You give us so much and yet, Lord, we give you so little back. And you still call us sons. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live a life that appreciates the Son, that it is not like the sun that comes up and goes down every day, but it is the sun that gives life to our souls. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless us, that tomorrow morning, use the sun as it rises to bless our hearts with the sun that has risen all those years ago, defeated death, that we did not have to taste death, but have eternal life and joint heirs with Christ. We pray that you bless us all, not because we deserve it, but because you are a gracious and merciful God who loves to hear your people and bless your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.